Thanks for joining us for another episode of COINTELPRO. I'm Mike Spencer, and in a moment, you'll be hearing an interview with John Yost about the 2022 documentary he directed called Alien Abduction Answers. In this episode, we talk about Yost's experiences with the phenomenon, its intentions, and what our focus should be when we think about this subject. Also, we'll be releasing an extended version of this interview for our subscribers on Patreon later this week. The link is in the show notes as always. I rewatched your documentary last night and, you know, Whitley's in it a bunch and Whitley was brought up a bunch last night in this, um, Twitter space. That, that was really cool. What was like really striking to me about the conversation last night, there were probably like 60 people in it and about 10 to 12 consistent speakers and everyone had a different opinion on this stuff. Everyone did. And, you know, they're uh, all, you know, claiming to have had experiences themselves and they all look at this, you know, these interactions sort of very differently. And there was a lot of friendly debate over, you know, whether these things are positive, negative or both. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I was, I wanted to just kind of ask you sort of right off the bat, I guess, what you, what you think about that in terms of your own experiences and then, you know, the people, you know, in your documentary, for example, um, and other people you may have interacted with in, if you feel that there's a consensus at all on the nature of these interactions and whether or not they're positive, negative, or both. The, f- the first problem is that a lot of that stuff is ego driven. Mm-hmm. So this happened to me. So this is the only experience in the world, Right. So, you know, you're an idiot and I'm a genius. So the, the, the problem is, is that we're like scientists who've been thrown into this big black room and somebody says, what's in there? And somebody screams out, it's, uh, it's a spear. And then someone says, are you an idiot? It's a, it's a whip. No, what are you talking about? It's a boulder. You turn on the lights and it's an elephant. It's too big for one person to just wrap their arms around it. Okay. Yeah. So. You know, so many people go into this and they start talking about ego and they fall into that damn trap, right? Mm. Okay, that's the first issue. The second issue is that the universe, and if you saw the film, you know, I I play a little game. I I do a little parable Mm. about, I said, you know, if if we accept that the universe is rife with life, how the hell can any one person say, oh, well, yes, of course. I have all the answers. I get a lot of shit uh, about the title of my film, uh, Alien Abduction Answers. The, the the trap is ego. The trap is ego. And the trap is also our ignorance. But it's a desperate sort of ignorance. Mm. You know, m- many times, you know, if you've ever been in deep water and lost control of yourself, you start to flail, right? And to your body, that makes sense. Right. But all you're doing is constricting your muscles and you're sinking deeper in your own ignorance and fear and eventually death in this particular case. 
I think there are five buckets of where this phenomena is coming from. Okay. Mm. The first bucket mm. is this. Look, we as humans, we used to live in nature. So we encountered Gaia or Earth or this intelligence that is that we're living on on a day-to-day basis. So we would bump into things mm-hmm. that we identified as elves. And okay, this is the phenomena that we understood at that time. And this is sometimes what we as people who are in our air-conditioned homes, who have our latte, and we get to our air-conditioned car and go to our air-conditioned office, and we go to air-conditioned classrooms. And, okay, we don't really, we're not associated. So when we bump into something like this, that's a fucking alien, man. That's an alien. Yeah. And I know what aliens look like. Okay. So that's the first bucket that this is in. Mm-hmm. The second bucket is this. Look, if we are arrogant enough not to believe that our governments around the world have tech that we don't understand, we're morons. Mm-hmm. The self-bomber was secret until it wasn't. Okay. So there is tech out there that people have experienced that they have misconstrued. And along with that tech is PSYOP. Yeah, is yeah. misconstrued for alien interaction and also UFOs in the sky. Okay, so we have to accept. If we're going to be intelligent about it, we have to accept that. Then, thirdly, we send probes everywhere in our solar system, and you know what those probes do? I'm going to blow your mind. They take measurements. Mm-hmm. They take samples. About, can you believe that? And you know what? If we bumped into a living creature, I'm going to guarantee you, we would come down and we would pop it with a some sort of implant and we would track its migration, just like we do with elk and moose and everything. So I, I accept the fact that there are interactions with other life forms, be they drones, be they entities, be they whatever. But I mean, nuts and bolts, UFOs, something that is other. There are two left. Also, something interesting about the Earth. You know, the Earth is like four and a half billion years old. We're, you know, a couple hundred thousand years old. You know, once again, our arrogance, you know, our our centrist kind of idea about we are the center of the universe. Copernicus was an asshole. You know, we believe we are it. We are it. You know, it's interesting, too, because even in Genesis, there's this little passage where God says to Adam and Eve, Go and replenish the earth. Replant. That means there was something before, man. Okay, so I'm, you know, I, I know I wax that way, but you don't have to be religious to think about this in terms of, mm. okay, four and a half billion years. There might have been some sort of smart entity here who said, let's tuck away. Okay. And so they're tucked away. So these cats might be sitting back and just coming out and saying, well, uh, we like it where we are and we've adapted to our. World, you know, you hear about like uh, Operation High Jump, the guys in, in, mm. uh, you know, Antarctica. Okay, well, this would be something like that. So I, I, I open my mind to allow for that possibility. And then finally, finally, there's this woo-woo factor that people have. They talk about ultra terrestrials and these spiritual contacts and this sort of thing. Well, for me, it's not a hard jump. You know, understanding, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of uh, Ray Hernandez, but a very, yeah. very interesting guy. You know, I've, yeah. I've interviewed him, um, you know, and he's talking to these really, really smart cats around the world, PhDs, who talk about how consciousness is primary. Somehow, some way, there is an other consciousness pushing into our dimension, interacting with us, 
and pulling back without a trace. Here's an example. Mm -hmm. Here's a real life example to all of my friendly skeptics out there. So you and I, Michael, we are at the edge of a pond. And I stick my ugly face in that pond. Okay, there a fish comes up and he sees my ugly face. Now, I am not a fish like he's ever seen before. He is shocked by this incredible different thing. And I move like nothing this fish has ever seen. Okay, now this is a really, really important point. The fish has no concept that my face is attached to a head, is attached to a neck, is attached to a body that is completely devoid of that plane of existence. Mm. Okay, And I have all kinds of shit I do that have nothing to do with the fish. I don't even think of the fish. It's all about what I'm doing over here, and I've got plans. And as much as the fish thinks that all I do is concentrate about the fish, it's not really. I just popped in to see what was going on. Okay, and then I disappear without a trace. Now watch how it plays out. So the fish is all excited, talks to his buddies, says, come here, look. They come up. The water is still. They look at him and say, you're an idiot. There's no proof. That's what's happening on that level. Our first problem in general when we're dealing with this is our egocentric idea that we control the game. You know, a couple hundred years ago, people said, oh, man, you know, evil spirits caused flus and all this other stuff. Okay. So here, watch closely. Watch closely. So along comes the microscope. Okay. And we take a look and say, holy shit. We got microbes, we got, you know, amoeba, we got viruses, we got everything else. Okay, so here is the pivotal question. Did all of those invisible entities in this particular case suddenly create themselves because of the advent of the microscope, or were they just always there? Did our technology finally catch up? For a lot of people, they'll identify what seem to be pseudo-religious aspects of uh, people's beliefs around the phenomenon. And they'll use that as something that's discrediting, right? Sure. That, that the phenomenon or what remains of the phenomenon is, are, are these vestiges of more sort of spiritual or mystic beliefs uh, is the similarity between mysticism and religious belief and certain opinions about the phenomenon, is that necessarily discrediting or does it sort of uh, serve a, a purpose? We have to be honest. We have to say, look, you may see it through mystical eyes. I may see it through completely, you know, lead and mercury and all. Okay. It doesn't matter. What is it? What is it? There is kind of a an almost religious aspect to this assumption that all mysteries are inevitably going to be comprehensible in, in our science. And I think that a lot of times people who want to discount what appears to be, you know, these sort of uh, mystical or ultra terrestrial facets of the phenomenon that often that is countered with, with its own sort of religiosity, the religiosity of our own brilliance and intelligence in our science. Sure. Sure. But we, we, the, the thing is this, I, 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 when I talk to people about that, I say, listen, you know, I agree with you, but also I ha you can't, you can't have like, you can't have, you know, a, a cake with all the ingredients 
but the flower because the flower conflicts with a personal feel. Okay, you have to add the flower because flower is part of the cake. That's kind of like the macro look at this whole thing. Mm -hmm. The micro look at this thing is very interesting to me. It, I know that this thing, this interaction that I had changed me. I mean, it literally changed me. And I've talked to, I want to say, about a thousand people, individuals who have had some type of experience. And the truth of the matter is, you know, regardless of where you are on the spectrum, you know, if you put a hundred of your friends in a room and just said, hey, listen, in your entire life, is there something that you couldn't explain? You'd find a bunch of people who would say, yeah. So here's the deal. It's not a coincidence. It's a condition. As a scientific guys, it's a condition. Mm. There's something that's happening. So all that wasted space about fighting, it does not exist in your, please. All you're doing is wasting time. Yeah. Let's get to what it is. Okay. And also we have to understand that we might not be able to measure it with our current technology. Okay. Like the microscope, like I told you. Okay. So for us, our, as people, as a species, our number one observation are the physical sciences, what we interact, how we feel, what happens to us. And I think that's one of the reasons that Ray Hernandez is so interesting because he's really done a lot of, of that kind of research. Uh, I, like, for example, 93, I think it's 93% of people who have ever had one of these experiences originally reacted negatively because of the ontological shock. But then like 93% or 95% opened the door for more experiences after that. Yeah. Why in God's name would you say, oh yeah, come on back in. You know what I mean? And also the, the subject that I deal with, you know, I, I know there are a lot of documentaries out there about the shiny lights in the sky. My, my film is not about the shiny lights in the sky. I, I, I to me, it's important, but it's not central. You, The real question is who's in the cockpit? Because if they're a good person or they're a good entity or they mean us well, that's pretty cool. If they don't, we're in a shitstorm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say all of this is, yeah. is diversion. We need to get to the central point because yeah. that is the key. So how do we do that? Well, we can only do that through the people who have interacted specifically mm. with the occupants, the entities, the intelligences, the consciousnesses that are directing these things. But I, for almost, I'm 55 years old. Uh, you know, I'm actually 19. I just look like shit. <laughs> uh, as of the stress, but um, but I lied about it my entire life. It affected me. It poisoned. Mm -hmm. It touched. Or you don't even say poison because that's weighted. Let's say it touched everything that I did. Every person I had a relationship with. That idea of of concealment. That idea of occulting a part of me. And when this occurred and blew my mind it shook me to my soul really um i became an extremely honest person for the last 25 years 27 years i've been in the film business okay i make tv shows and commercials and long format and instructional videos and anything you can imagine okay worked around the world 
And big companies like, you know, Esquire, Fox, Comcast, you know, Peacock, whatever. Okay. So we're like guns for hire, right? So some producer comes in like you guys and says, hey, listen, I want to make a documentary. I want to do this. Okay, we're the guys with the cameras, the drones, all the toys, the vans, you know, and we put it together and we package it and we do it for them. And then we'll do all the editing and stuff. Okay. I've been working for a company called Rhino Pictures for the last, uh, shoot, 12 years. Okay. And they've been in business for 38 years. So, I mean, this is a real company, you know, established for a long time. And um, so about six years ago, five, six years ago, I said, listen, guys, we need to start to create our own content, right? This is important because this is the way the market is going. So we've done stuff like, you know, for Food Network and, you know, History Channel and all this other stuff. We were on a shoot for somebody else. Okay, I'm going to leave them out of it because it was their project. And we're in a place called Borrego Springs, California. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. But it's very, very flat. It's very arid. And there are croppings of stone, but there's most of it is like just plain old desert. Okay. And it's also one of these blackout cities. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, you know, where they turn off all the lights at night. You know, it's a dark sky city. Uh, and it's one of the reasons we picked it, because we wanted to control the light. Okay, we don't want street lights and crap. And it's the middle of nowhere. Anyway, we rented this really big house, big ranch house to um, have everybody there. We had like 15, 17 people with us, okay? We go out, we do a night shoot, we come back. It's like one or two o'clock in the morning. And um, we, me and my team, we're downloading all the footage because we, you know, we want redundancy. We don't want to lose anything, right? We come out, everybody is starting to pour some wine and would have a nightcap. Great. Big pool out there. I sit down, we're laughing and joking. And um, somebody hands me a glass. Now, it's important to know this is not a plastic cup. This is a glass. Okay. So I kind of lift over my shoulder like this. And we're going to do a toast. And the toast is happening. I see a glint of light in the glass. And my mind is, you know, racing. Oh, that's the moon. But then my mind says, wait a second. It's a new moon. This is why we chose tonight. So there'd be no light interference. So as I pull down my glass to take a sip, I see above the house, the ranch house that we're renting, to my eye, it looked um, irregular shaped, kind of like an egg, but not really like an egg. And it was kind of a blue-green luminescent kind of glowing thing. And my mind immediately says, oh, that's a Mylar balloon, like a get well balloon, happy birthday balloon, you know, metallic. And then my mind said, wait a second. That's as big as a fucking car. That's not, what the hell? And as I do, I drop it. And one of my camera guys, Scotty, is here. I go, grab him. And I turn him. And he says, oh, my God. Well, like I said, we're with 15, some people, or whatever. They're all around. The, and they turn. And they're like, holy sh! Is that a UFO? Oh, my God. Blah, blah. This is all happening. This thing moves from a complete stop. So damn fast. Zip, 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 zip. And stops right above my head. Now, I, I have no idea how long it was there. Could have been a millisecond. Could have been an hour. But I can't. I just know that it stopped right above my head. I looked up. I saw it. And then it zipped away about 20 feet away. And then it just floated out into the desert. And because it was so flat, the reason I told you about that was because we watched it for like a, a minute and a half as it just drifted out into the 
Okay. Everybody is buzzing about this. This is incredible. Now, you, Austin, have seen the film. When I had my encounter as a little boy, we got very, very close. I mean, nose to nose to nose, nose to nose. And I was not afraid. I was not afraid. And then something happened. And the way I explain it is this. If you guys have ever been to a beach and you have your feet in the water and the waves come in about your ankle and it start, when it goes out, it starts to take the sand out from underneath you and you feel kind of like this a little bit. That's the way I felt when I was a little boy during that situation. And I got petrified. And that's why I started flailing and actually laid hands on this thing. Right then, when that thing was above my head, that feeling happened again. All of that stuff had come back to me. Now, I remembered it always, but it was just like in the back. You know, have you ever been beaten up as a bully when you were a kid? Of course you have. You've been pushed around in a school once or twice. It's back there. You remember everything that happened, but you don't live it every day. Yeah. So I never lived it every day, but it came back in fucking technicolor. And I, inside, was shaking like, I don't know if you've ever been really, really cold or like had a flu when you just could not get warm. So the insides, I mean, like this, okay? And I, I'm losing my stuff. I'm losing my shit. So I start to stand up and... Uh, I, I make that some lame bullshit thing. I go, well, you young whippersnappers can stay out here and drink and party all night, but, you know, I'm the guy in charge, and I've got forms to fill out. Ha <laughs> And I go back to my room. I'm not proud of this. I, uh, I push the bed up against the door and throw all my luggage up against that door, and I sat in a corner and I cried like a baby. I, it affected me so much. And you have to understand, it wasn't me living it as a 50-some-year-old guy. It was a seven-year-old kid who was dealing with it that had never dealt with it. Yeah. And so what happened was, I mean, I had a terrible night. I couldn't sleep. But I took this. Now, remember, I'm in charge, right? And I'm an anal retentive guy. I mean, my boxes have boxes, have boxes, have boxes. I just recently stopped <laughs> rearranging other people's silverware when I sit down at their table. I'm a pain in the ass. And my job is perfect for that because when you're dealing with other people's money, they love to see that. I start slipping. I have a problem. Uh, I, I come out and my guys start to notice. First day went bad, the very next day. And also, I understand now that I have a tremendous fear. I have a fear of wide open skies, and I have a fear of deep water. I can't go in the backyard. I can't get near the pool. I can't do it. I can't fucking do it. I'm standing, you know, we had a couple more days there. I was inside, hey, you know, you guys, peace, you know, whatever. I'll stay in here. And it got so bad. Well, I got through, I got through the film, okay? I'm filming. We were there for another three or four days. And I got on the plane, and thanks to some very lovely triple distilled Irish liquids, I got home. But when I got off the plane and my family came to see me, there was something wrong. They could tell. And, um, and then it got really bad 
the, uh, I, I couldn't be under Scott. I couldn't be. So what I would do is I would get to work early and I would park right beside the front door and I would wait for somebody else to get, I'd wait an hour for somebody else to get there so I could walk in with them. Okay. Or if I, if I was delayed because of a meeting or whatever, and I had to park across, I would wait until I saw somebody or I'd run like a fucking maniac to get to the front door. Look, I am not an athletic man. <laughs> it is an ugly thing to watch me run. <laughs> I am only uglier when I cry. So let me tell you something. It looked like a circus freak running across the damn parking lot. But I was, but I was that scared. I was that scared. So what happened was this. I'm sure other people would have said, hey, listen, you know, you ought to see somebody. You know, you, ought, you really ought to talk to them. But I'm that eight over ten guy. I, I know I can figure this out. I can, you know, this is the way I'm built. I'm a producer. When you say, hey, listen, can we do this? I don't say, no, you can't. Let me figure out how you can do it. That's the way we do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying, listen, I, there got to be something. I got to read something. There has to be somebody who else who's lived through something like this. And I'll start to read about them because they've had to live with it. And so I started to read. And that developed into interviews. And that developed into Hey, listen, do you mind if I put you on tape? I, you know, I'll give you the copy. You know, it's just for me. It's, it, you know, and through that. And so what happened was I started to collect these things and something happened. This was the most stupid thing. You guys are smart guys. So you probably already noticed it, but I, because you're so immersed in it, it was plain as the nose on my face. I did not fucking remember a piece of this thing. I remembered everything. I remembered everything. And and since, Austin, you've seen the film, I remembered everything up until the point where I was nose to nose. I start to feel the fear. I put the hands on a guy, and there's this big flash of light. I, I feel like something's moving. I don't know what's going on and whatever. But when I come back, get my senses back, I'm in the middle of this fight. Okay. And, Michael, you haven't seen it, but I'm in the middle of this fight. I had met this entity in the doorway of a bathroom. My back is in the bathroom. His back is in the hallway. I say him. I don't know. Anyway, but when we come back, whatever, my back is in the hallway. His back is in the bathroom. And then we have a struggle and I fall down the stairs. But I don't remember that piece. And so what happened was at that point, at that point when I went, holy shit, I, I don't know. That's when the decision to make the film happened. Because I knew that there were other people out there who had this and I had gained a little bit of, I always tell people, I said, I'm making the film. It was my, it started off as my catharsis and I gained a little bit of peace. Uh, and I was hoping to convey peace to people who watched it. Circling back to this question of intent that Austin led us off with. It sounds like from your experiences, you had a lot of negative fallout from oh. from having been through these things. Oh, yeah. But does that help us describe or understand the actual intent of the phenomenon? When, when we talk about experiences in general, once again, my experience was with a very certain, you know, everybody talks about grays. and That was not my experience. I didn't experience thought grays, you know. In fact, uh, you know, Austin, you've seen the film, so you know the 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 entity that came for me was more, I guess, insectoid in a way. Had had antennae, mantis-like. Yeah, and, yeah. and they were like branches almost. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and then also, in I was not taken to a ship or anything. I was it was I was somewhere underground, and the others that were there had like gray light aspects, but they had longer heads, almost like horses. So that experience versus I experienced uh, beings of light. Okay, totally different thing, totally different source, different experience. So the intention, I'm sorry, you were going to say something, Austin? I was just going to say, kind of riffing off of what you're saying here, and Whitley says this in the film, like multiple times. He's like, you know, what you're seeing obviously can be, even when you're up that up close and personal with an, an entity, what you're seeing up close and personal could be radically different than what is actually there. Sure. You know, and so that's, I don't know, that's one of the most compelling, fascinating things, I think. There's historical precedence for this, mm-hmm. okay? I don't know, are you guys familiar at all with the story of Cortez? So Cortez comes, I'll, I'll make it short. Cortez comes, and he's got a couple ships, and he pulls into the harbor, and he's got 400 sailors with him, and they're there looking for gold, okay? And his guys are on the crow's nest, and they, they see up on the hills, there are like 40,000 indigenous people. Well, his guys shit themselves, and they literally try to mutiny. So what he does is he literally burns his ships to keep them all together, okay? Cortez burns his ship, and he said, look, we're going to get all the gold, or we're going to die here. This is going to happen, okay? Now, flip it around, right? This is the perspective of Cortez and his men. Flip it around. So we have 40,000 indigenous people in there. So what they do is this. After they did come and they did make contact and they did exchange gifts and everything else, they explained what their interaction with the, their phenomena was. And this is what it was. So one day, this fog rolled into the bay. And they could hear men's voices, but they could not see anything. And after a couple of days, a couple of their wise men, their shamans, stood on the edge and they could see shadows. There was no weather condition at all. It was clear. Okay. And they couldn't, but they could hear this. And they didn't see anything until they rowed that small boat up to the uh, shore. And the reason this is, is because these indigenous people had never seen a tall ship in their life. Their mind had no reference. They could not place it in one of their buckets. They could not identify anything with it. You know, it's like, you know, is it a sailing mountain? Is it, you know, what the hell is this? And so it it's clear, it's clear that their minds were perfectly fine. Their eyes were perfectly fine. They just could not, like the robot and you know, lost in space, does not compute. It did not make sense to your to your point, Austin. Yeah. I so the the reason the reason why I brought that up was and you have this in your film too, um listening to you talk about those experiences, how you interpret them, um, and then the element that that Whitley kind of brings up in the film of seeing one thing and it being something else entirely, most likely yeah. and the really kind of interesting parallels between your story there and Terry Lovelace. Um, yeah. which is, I mean, when I read his first book, I mean, it was like, 
absolute eye opener for me yeah. with this topic. Um, and so I think one of the biggest examples in that book, I think it's towards the beginning of it is when he's talking about as a kid, he's having these interactions with what he perceived as the, the monkey men, you know, these three entities would come into his bedroom at night. Um, and they looked like, you know, giant toy stuffed monkeys basically. And they had this kind of, kind of sketchy grin on their face and whatnot. Um, and eventually I think it's when he has the sort of seminal encounter in, uh, devil's den in Arkansas, which is like two and a half hours away from where I live actually. And, uh, um, he, uh, it's like, I think, I think in the book, he says after this experience, it's when a lot of these memories start to flood back. So I just, it was interesting when you had said earlier, um, that after that experience, seeing that object in the sky, you know, it was like a switch, but I, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily something that's totally exclusive to, you know, people who have ongoing you know, lifelong experiences. I think it's, it's, it's a larger sort of just psychological, you know, phenomenon of, Hey, like traumatic experience, repressed memories. And then there's the trigger. That's it. It's not just, you know, UFO stuff. I mean, it's, it's anything. And so, but I think that also lends credence to making a lot of these stories more believable because I mean, you listen to John Mack, you know, when he was alive and, 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 how he described this stuff. You know, none of these people are exhibiting psychosis at all. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. there. He said, if anything, they're, this is like a lot of this is symptomatic of PTSD and stuff like that. Sure. Of a real experience. These people have had sure. to that point, to that point, I find something very, very interesting. And, um, you know, you, you said something about, you know, triggering me that thing above my head. My interpretation is that was locked inside me yeah. until maybe they wanted to trigger me to say, look, now's the time to talk about this. You know, if I had talked about this with our seven, maybe I'd be in a rubber room, right? Mm. Okay, maybe it's time to talk. Okay, but that's my interpretation. By the way, it could absolutely be true, but we don't know. We don't know, okay? So take a look at this. This is a really, really brilliant thing. And I think it's so, if in fact it's by design, hats off. Hats off. You know how people talk about, well, why isn't there this mass disclosure? Why don't they land on the, you know, the front lawn? Okay, well, listen, in 1952, they flew over in formation. Yeah, they, they, they literally flew over the Capitol, <laughs> and it was on radar. Yeah, and pictures and everything else. Okay, yeah. they came back, they disappeared. And then yeah. they, the next day, and we went up, okay, why don't they land? I don't know. I think maybe we'd shoot them. So now you hear, I'm getting this question a couple, a couple of times. People are like, well, what do you think the ramifications are of the U.S. government coming, you know, clean with all of this disclosure? And I said, listen, guys, listen, they've lied about it the whole time, and everybody knows it. So why do you look surprised, first of all? And the fact that they're giving you this stuff in, you know, little drop form, why are you surprised? Why are you arguing about it? It's wasted breath. It's wasted breath. In my world, my mind, there are three types of kind of people in this world. Okay, watch. 
I call them the brokers. Okay. You got the guys on Wall Street. I don't mean to pick on Wall Street, but I mean, the guys who are like this, you know, calculators down, head down, you know, ah, fuck all that. You guys are idiots. You know, they're all woo-woos. You're morons. Okay. That's fine. Then you have intelligent people sitting around a campfire saying, you know what, you know, I can, uh, mathematically, it makes sense that there probably is life out there, but how would they get to us? And, you know, I, I, you know, maybe there is some sort of interaction. I don't know, but, um, but, you know, what does it really have to do with me? Okay. And then you have other groups of people, kind of like us, who are going, okay, well, look, man, something's happening. Let's talk about this and let's, you know, kind of wrestle with the ideas. And we're open to those ideas and those possibilities. And some people within that group who are a little bit more like me, who are solid, like, I touched them. I could tell you what it feels like. Okay. So along come these abridged and staccato hearings. Okay. What does it do to the psyche of the world for the first time in his life or her life? The first time they look up. Now watch. Let's qualify this look up. They look up with expectation. They look up with permission. They look Mm. up with a duty to report if they see. It is a complete, you talk about psychology, it is a complete flip of that paradigm. A 180% turn. Watch the other kind of guys. Oh, you know, and I've considered this mathematically. What does it have to do with what they had here? Tell me all about Wait a minute. They're spending tax money on this? What are these guys looking for? They look up with expectation, with anticipation. If this is by design, by something other than us who understands our psychology, that has studied us, that is more advanced than us. This is a brilliant stroke because what it did was it told those 40,000 Indians, there's a tall ship out there. And by the way, here are a couple drawings that you might associate with them. And they might look different, but you know what? You're allowed to see them. And I got these directly from your shaman. No, it, it is. And that really, it made me immediately think of the aerial phenomenon film and that event that took place. Sure. And I think that this is one of the most incredible examples that again, riffs off of what you just said. And that here we have 50 to 60 school children. Sure. In uh, 1994 in rural Zimbabwe. And a, a group of young kids who have no reference point for any of this stuff, yet they all basically see, you know, same craft, same entities walking around outside of it. it some of them report basically having telepathic communication. They're not calling it that, they're, but they're, these kids are 100% describing interacting with these entities that way. And, you know, they're getting these kind of sort of lovey-dovey messages they you know oh you know they're they're telling us to protect the planet and and stuff like that and then you ask you know what what's the what's the point of these things landing just for 50 to 60 you know school children in some random rural area in africa 
why not somewhere in in suburban Virginia or something like that, you know, outside of Washington, D.C.? You saw my but, movie. Right. And so, but the point is that it it doesn't, like, looking back at it, it doesn't matter because Randall Nickerson comes along, makes this film that has reached millions of people at this point. Millions. Yep. yep. You know? Yep. It, uh, James Fox, you know, basically the last sixth of his film, uh, that film in particular, was about that incident. Yeah. And that has millions and millions and millions and millions of views. Millions. And, right. So, it like, that's the thing is that is that it doesn't, like, it didn't, it didn't necessarily matter that it was, that it was happening in rural Zimbabwe. It was still, it's almost like this seeding. Like, it's. Where does a mighty oak come from? Right. Right. It is a plan for disclosure. What it is to me, to me, my personal opinion is it is a knock on the door. It is a knock on the door. It is a knock on the door. Understanding that we don't like to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. We fight against that. If it's our idea, it's our idea. We protect it to the death. Strategies happen. Okay. Like the strategy of seeding. That's a strategy. It could be true. It might absolutely be true. We don't know, but it could be true. But then, once again, is it a coincidence? Well, I showed you in the film. It's happened. It's happened. It's happened. All school kids. Okay, when did all of these? When did all of these sightings really inspire? Yeah, we've had ancient aliens and all this other stuff. But when did they really kick in? Well, they kicked in in the forties when we were blowing the shit out of the earth. And the sea with nuclear weapons. Okay, this one. Once again, let's let's identify what it is. We are splitting the atom, the fabric of the universe. Somebody said at some point, I'm not saying this is all the phenomena, I'm just saying that this is reaction to one of these stimuli. Said, holy shit, what are you guys doing? So, because you, you are splitting the fabric of universe, okay? We're going to come here. We're going to figure this out. We're going to take a look. Well, the, okay. You guys are involved in all these chat rooms and conversations and stuff like this. So, you know all about Maelstrom Air Force Base, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. And you also know that this has happened in Russia and Turkey and, and the UK, Rendlesham, all this other stuff. Okay. Yeah. It's happened around the world. Okay. Let us take a look at the data set, right? Lights come up. Guys shit their pants. That's important. (laughs) They have guns. They call their command. Holy crap, we may be under attack. Guy says, lock it up. Everything is locked down. They got security on security on security. Okay. And as they wait for some sort of movement, something, not the lights, because the lights are permanent there, Something reaches in and turns off the silos, right? Yep. Okay. Then, lights stay there for a few minutes. Lights retreat. Silos come back on. Okay, that's the data set. Now, look at us. You sons of bitches, this is an act of war. How Don't tell anybody. Because if the Russians can do this, we're going to, we got to fucking kill them. Okay. Valid response from somebody who thinks this is an act of war. But I ask you guys this. You're young men. I'm a dad. Okay, I've had two sons. Let me tell you how I see it. Lights come up. These guys are obviously afraid. So, 
no aggressive action. We're just going to sit here. We're going to reach in behind your back and we're going to douse the, the matches that you have. Now, we have the power. If we could turn them off, we could probably detonate them. So we're going to turn them off and we're going to show you that they should be off. We're not going to hurt anybody. We're going to come back. We're going to let you think about that for a second. This is the example. Do as smarter people do. You don't want to launch those bastards. You don't. Okay? We're step back. We're drift by. And guess what? Because you have to have free will, because it has to be your decision, we'll allow them to come back on. Please listen to the message. We're telling you something. The data said you have to add the flour into the cake. It's happened many times. There is a pattern here. We are ignorant. We are ignorant. We need all the data. Remember, you can hear the rest of this interview by subscribing to our Patreon. The link is in the show notes.